Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. That's what Jesus wants to do every single week, <laughs> is captivate our hearts. Uh, it's, it's for us to see him as the one we've always been looking for. I know I found that in my life. Chased and went after many things, but ultimately it was always Jesus that I was in need of. I want to, uh, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to, I want to speak, it's probably going to hit on a few different things, but I, I want to speak with you this morning on the, on the truth of Jesus, Jesus being enough, of our hearts being truly satisfied in Jesus. But with that, there's something really specific that I know is going to kind of be, be a theme that's going to run through today's, today's word that God has given me, and, and that's that... Um, birthing things from a pure heart. If you've been here for, uh, for the last few months since we've been going into 2019, I believe that God gave me a word for us uh, for this body and for this year, which is purity. And there's a lot of reasons why we've spoken about that before the power of God ever comes. It's, it's purity that first must come. And there's so many things about that. Remember what we shared, and this is really important for today, and that is that purity on this side of eternity is not necessarily a sinless heart, although we should be growing and looking more and more like Jesus, but ultimately it's a single heart. And what I mean by that is that our hearts are truly captivated by Jesus. He alone sits on the throne of our heart. It's him that we see as all precious. It's, it's, our adoration is for Jesus and Jesus alone. The, the throne of our heart is reserved for Jesus and none other. When we begin to have a single heart towards the Lord, the outward manifestation of that is we begin to walk in purity. The blood of Jesus has washed us, has made us pure, but then he calls us to walk in our identity now as the pure ones. And we do that by seeing the beauty of Jesus, having him captivate our hearts so that we want him and nothing else. Do you know that it's, it's in the longing for other things and not being satisfied in Christ that leads us to begin to grasp for other things that he never intended us for, or for us to go after? And so what I want to share with you is that God wants to birth things through, our, through us. We've, we've spoken about this with Mary on Christmas time. We see it throughout Scripture that God plants seed within us, and then he wants to birth incredible things way beyond we could ever imagine in, in, or, or do in our own strength. But he wants to purify our hearts before the birthing. Why? Because ultimately the fruit that comes out of our life is meant to be laid at the feet of Jesus for his glory and for his name only. But when our hearts are not pure and when we're not truly content and satisfied in Jesus, that which we can give birth to is actually, it's actually meant to fill something inside of us rather than for Jesus. And we're going to look at this in the story of Hannah, of how God wants to purify us so that that which comes through, we can completely surrender to the Lord for his glory. So I want you to look here at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 11. I'm going to explain that more, this process of birthing from pure hearts. But here, starting in verse 2, Elkanah is, is the husband of two wives here. One is Hannah, and the other one is Penina. And it says this, verse 2, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penenah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, 
used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So in other words, Peneno used to, used to uh, antagonize and provoke Hannah because she was unable to bear fruit. And verse 7 says, So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, listen to this, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And so I want to speak with you about God birthing things through you from a pure heart. And in the process of this, we're going to see also that I just believe God, if you don't even know the Lord, he wants, he wants to show you today that you, he's the one that your heart has always been looking for. I want you to see something first off as we start this text, is that you're going to see that there's a shift in the cry of Hannah. When Hannah first starts, there's a certain cry, and I want you to see this. Her cry in her heart is influenced by the expectations of the culture that a woman, if she is going to have any significance or security or stability in this society, it was contingent on her producing and birthing a child. So there is a cry of her weeping bitterly, not even eating because she's longing for a child because in her society, the measure of success is can you produce children, but she's unable to do so. Her main role was to give her husband a child, especially a son that would carry on the name of the family. According to the Jewish Talmud, which is basically a commentary of the Old Testament, they even said if you were barren, it was as good as you were dead. Barrenness was even a... a a, a means of divorce. You see, for children, it's, it's different for us today, but we're going to see personal application in our own life with this. But, but in this society, to have a child was, was so important. They lived in an agricultural society, and so your well-being, your, your work was based on how many kids that you could have. There was a measure of security that came from the number of children you could have. And based on how many children you could have, that could elevate you in, in the status of society. There was no 401k plans at this time. So your children were your means of comfort when you grew older. So if you didn't have kids, you had no one to take care of you. And not only that, from a national standpoint, the economy and the military was based on having kids, especially men. So here is, is Hannah, who is unable to produce a son. And there is a weight that is falling on her shoulders because she lives in a culture that demands that if she is going to have any measure of significance... If she is going to be deemed a successful woman, it will be contingent on her able to, able to produce a child, which she cannot do. Women were so, were, those women that could have children were actually honored. They were, they were esteemed with honor. They were even viewed as heroes. And those that couldn't were looked upon with shame and with pity. And so if you can imagine this in Hannah's case that, in this culture, it places all the woman's significance and security on having children. So she is essentially has no significance, no hope, and no life. And to make matters worse, every time she comes around, her rival, the other, the other wife, Penena, she, every time she sees her, she provokes her. She provokes her and, and antagonizes her. 
And I really believe it's not so much because of her words. It's because every time she came around the other wife, it was a reminder of how unfruitful she was. It was the fruitfulness of the other wife that would bring her into shame. Hannah was oppressed by the voice of demand that said, if you are going to have any measure of value or worth, you have to be able to produce this. And she could not do it. And so there's a longing in her heart, a cry in her heart, to have this thing so that she could experience some measure of stability and success and security in her life. Where on the other hand, Panetta found her confidence through her productivity. And every time Hannah faced her, 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 this, this woman, she was reminded of her inability to measure up to what was expected for a woman in this society. And verse 7 says that to say that she was deeply distressed would be an understatement. This woman was absolutely crushed by the weight that she was feeling in this society. She was crushed by this expectation that was put on her to the point that it says that her soul is so grieved that she can't even eat or drink anymore. And I say all that to ask you this. Is there in any way in your life that you can relate to Hannah? Is there a part in your life that you can relate to the fact that perhaps you find yourself deeply discouraged, deeply um, even depressed because in your life there is a certain expectation of what you should be able to produce if you are going to have a measure of success. And so there begins to be a cry in your heart to say, man, if I could only have this, if I can only achieve this, if I can only do this, then I would have significance and stability, then I would be someone. And there's a cry in our heart like Hannah, the, the cry for this thing to be birthed in us, though, is, is to fill a deficiency in ourself. It's to fill a lack in ourself. Hannah was crying because she wanted to be able to be deemed a, a successful woman in this culture. And I honestly believe that if we look at our own lives, because of the culture we live in and being a performance-driven culture, a, produce, a, a, a results-driven culture, that there is such a, a, a weight that is put on us to produce whatever that looks like, whether you're male or female, parents, however it looks, depending on your job, that we have this certain weight that says, the culture says, it's the, it's the human thought process. You must be able to produce. You must be able to bear a certain fruit. And if you can't, you are not successful. And so there's this dissatisfaction in our hearts where we're continuously longing to receive this thing. If only we could have this, then I could be someone. Then I would be filled. Then I would be satisfied. And I think, to be honest, it begins to trickle over even our walk in Christianity. There is such a fruit-based, result-driven mentality that begins to creep into our walk, and this is really important, where we begin to cry out for more results. We begin to be so obsessed with being useful for God, and we just begin to be so obsessed that if I can only do this, if I can only reach this certain platform, if God would only open this certain door for me, if I could only produce this thing in my life, then I would have some value, then I would have some significance, then I would have a measure of worth, then I would measure up to what is expected of me. And I, I think if you're anything like me, many of us get stuck in this place where we have this hidden competition that just runs through our veins. The lens that we see is jealousy. We're so bound by thinking that there's something more than God himself that we need to have, even in our walk. And I want you to see this that, this, that this cry that Hannah had, this first cry, 
was a cry that came because of a lack in her own life. She was convinced that unless I have this child, I can't, I can't be fulfilled. Unless I have this child, I can't truly be satisfied. And I want you to know that if you find yourself like that, if you find that there's a cry in your heart like that, where you say, man, if I can only have this, if, this, if I only have this person, if I can only have this career, or if it's in ministry, it's the same thing. If I can only reach this many people, I've had this type of platform, then I will be satisfied. And I want you to know that, that there's a verse that is going to come up right here that, that I believe is just the heart of Jesus that will set us free from thinking that we have to obtain and achieve in that mindset where we always feel like we're coming up short and therefore we always feel like we're just less than. There is a verse in here that I believe is the heart of Jesus that will set us free. Look at verse 7 and 8. And it's when her husband comes to her. And it says this. It says, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? See, I believe in this picture right here, there is such an amazing portrayal of the heart of Jesus and how he comes to us. The husband, the bridegroom, comes to his wife and says, why are you so sad? Why are you so oppressed? Why are you so discouraged? And we know the answer. It's because she's unable to produce this thing that she's convinced she has to. And he says, am I not more to you than ten sons? In other words, it's a number just to speak to. Am I not more to you than all of the fruit in the world? Folks, I believe this is the heart of Jesus that wants to speak into each and every one of our hearts, that when he finds us so desperately crying out for all of these things, if I only had this, if I only had this, Jesus comes to us and says, am I not more than ten sons? It's the heart of him saying, is not my loving union for you enough? Is my relationship to you enough? I honestly believe when I read this, I hear the heart of the husband actually breaking because her cry is exposing the insufficiency of his love, of her love for that. It, it can't do anything. She's, she's testifying by her cry that her husband is no longer the measure of her life. There's something else that's more important. This is the root of everything that destroys our life when we're not completely content and satisfied in Jesus. And can I say that many times our cries before God are actually revealing how discontent and dissatisfied we are with God himself. We say there's something more I need. I need a platform. I need more people, God. I need this. I need that. Crying out for these things, not realizing Jesus comes to us and looks us in the eyes and says, am I not more than all of that? Is my loving union not enough for you? Why are you not satisfied in me? Why is your heart so restless? What are you looking for? Why is there no peace in your life? What has deceived you in thinking that you need that instead of me? Why are you not delighted in me? And here's the good news. Jesus is faithful, and Jesus is good, and Jesus does bless. But let me tell you something. We're going to share this in a second. It's protection here. Because if he doesn't do that, when we begin to birth things that we are still dependent on in an unhealthy way, it will ultimately destroy us. Jesus wants to purify our hearts to a place where we are solely content and satisfied with him so that when this thing comes through us, it is for his glory and his glory alone. 
And so the husband comes, and I just see the heart of Jesus in this, just asking us, if you find yourself like Hannah, like way down, when you look at your own life and say, man, I feel like I should be able to do this, produce this, you need to hear the heart of Jesus come to you today and say, am I not more than 10 sons? Am I not more than all the fruit that you could have? Eric Gilmore, who's, you know, someone that I deeply admire and, and just so blessed by his ministry and his heart for just loving Jesus, he says this, which I think is so applicable to what we're talking about. He says, Jesus' heart is broken by much of our ambition for results, for it replaces him as the source and joy of life. To be loved by you is the goal of his loving you. The whole point of God loving us is so that we respond with all of our love back to him. The heart of God breaks by some of our ambitious uh, uh, striving and the things that we go after because it just reveals that he is truly not the center of our life. We are convinced that there's something more that we need. I tell you this, every time Jesus is not the king of your life and you've allowed something else, that's where all of my disappointments have come from. Jesus wants to, he's the only one that captivates hearts to liberate. Everything else that tries to captivate your heart, no matter how good it may seem, will ultimately destroy you. Jesus is the only one who wants to so have your full attention because he wants to liberate you from never being dependent on these other things. When I read this and I see the love of, of Elkanah for his wife, I'm amazed by it. Because his love in this culture is so beyond the natural human thought process. What he's confessing to her is saying, my love is not contingent on you being able to bear children. I simply love you. I love you. And we need to receive that deep within our hearts. We need to hear Jesus speak that over us. Because when that happens, I'm telling you, it, it so captures our hearts. We begin to see how beautiful he is. And we begin to say, Jesus, I don't care if I have anything else. As long as I have you, I have all that I need. I don't care about the relationship. I don't care about the career. I don't care about the new place that you're going to move me to, God. I don't care about the giftings. I don't care about the promises. God, I don't care about any of that stuff. I thank you for it. But ultimately, Jesus, if I have you, I have enough. Once in our heart, once our heart is purified to this place, then I believe God can birth things through us that will truly be for his glory. And then that fruit has incredible kingdom impact. It's what he's, the father spoke over Jesus when he was baptized. And he said, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased in. And I know we've shared this before, but it always amazes me that at this point, Jesus had never performed a public miracle. The father spoke his love and his pleasure over him, not because of what he was able to produce. He was his son. Everything starts in intimacy and union with Jesus and seeing this and letting him speak over to you. And I really felt like there is a lot of restless hearts in here. Because of all these things in this world of expectations of what you should be doing and what life should look like. And Jesus wants to just set you free by you gazing upon him and just being completely content in your union with him. I believe Jesus is so portrayed in the, the husband's words here. And I believe he speaks to us today, am I not better than ten sons? I don't know what that looks like in your life. But is he not better than that thing you are so convinced needs to happen in order for you to be fulfilled and satisfied? And so he says, come to me. Jesus is teaching us here. God is teaching us through this word that what Hannah was looking for, this is the whole point. What Hannah was looking for can't be found in a son. What she was looking for, what she hoped would be able to come through this earthly son, God has to teach her it can't come through this. 
And so even if you have this son, Hannah, you'll still be lacking because it's me that you need and you've lost me in this process. It's just me. Isaiah 55, 2, listen to this. It says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. It's the call of God to come to me if your heart is restless, if you're longing for something, it's Jesus. It's seeing him. Everything has to start with us being able to confess, Lord, you are enough for me. Do you know what, do you know what the grievous exchange that has taken place? When God created man in the garden, he told Adam that Adam had dominion over all things, which means all things were a gift from God, but they were meant to be external to the heart of man. All of these things that God had given to man were meant to be external, and they were meant to be subservient to man. In other words, man had authority over them, but sin has complicated things. And that which was meant to be external has creeped into the heart. Do you know that each and every one of us have a throne in our heart that's meant for God and God alone? But what's happened is we've allowed those things that were meant to be external to come into our heart and play God in our life. And as a result, we have been bound by these things. What Jesus has come to do is ultimately set us free from the reign and rule of, of ourselves, it's self-rule that he wants to set us free from because when he takes place as Lord over our life and when we are truly content in him, that is where freedom comes from. And I have found again, like I shared before, that all of my disappointments in life, all of my failures always come back to there is something that I've allowed to take an unhealthy position in my heart. As the irreligious, they'll say it's something instead of Jesus. The religious just say it's something in addition to Jesus. But either way, we have to guard our hearts that there's always something that wants to compete for the throne of our heart. And if it's not Jesus, it will ultimately bring us into captivity. One of my favorite scriptures that I'm sure many of you are familiar with is Psalm 23. And God has just been just, I mean, I could have done a whole thing on this. God is just speaking so much, but how does it start? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does it say? It says he, he, he leads me to green pastures, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restoreth my soul. It goes on to say how he guides us into the path of righteousness. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for the Lord is with us. Even in the midst of our enemies, he establishes a table for us to be able to, to commune with him, even in the hardest of situations. I mean, you just start to say, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I start thinking, man, look at all the incredible fruit that is being listed, the blessings of this. I mean, it just speaks to God's ability as shepherd to satisfy the soul and to bring rest and to bring peace, even in the midst of our enemies. But everything is contingent on that first part. The Lord is my shepherd, or the shepherd is my Lord. It's lordship. It's having Jesus sit on the throne of our heart and seeing him and submitting to him. When we submit our whole lives to Jesus, I mean really come before him. And we may not understand that in its entirety, but when we actually say, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done striving. I'm done grasping for other things. Lord, I just, I'm empty. I need you. When we truly say, Jesus, take your rightful place in my heart, the rest, the, the, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, everything we've been longing for, we find. I shall not want. The good shepherd is fully capable of meeting every need of our life. We need to say, Jesus, I submit to you. I submit to you. Lord, be king over my heart. Charles Spurgeon, I know many of you are familiar with. I just want to read this quote to you. It's a few sentences, but listen to what he says. I think it's a good 
summary of what we're talking about. He says, he who delights in the possession of the Lord Jesus has all that his heart can wish for. As for created things, they are like shallow and deceitful brooks. They fail to supply our needs, much less our wishes. The creature without Christ is an empty thing, a lamp without oil, a bone without marrow. But when Christ is present, our cups run over and we eat bread to the full. Listen to this. He almost speaks to himself here. He says, go no abroad, you hungry wishes of my soul. Stay at home and feast on Jesus. For abroad you must starve, since all other beloved are empty and undesirable. Stay with Christ and eat that which is good and delight yourself in fatness. Man, we've got to speak that over our life. Why are you going out and looking for things when you have Jesus who is everything? Leonard Ravenhill says this, the more that you reach for things on the outside, the more you point to your bankruptcy on the inside. All of our reaching, all of our grasping, even of the best things, even of the promises of God, even of the gifts of God, all these things that we've convinced ourselves, until I can flow in this and see this, man, that I can't be satisfied. It just attests to how empty we are in the Lord. And he wants to fill us. He wants to satisfy every heart because it's, just, it's beyond just something personal. I said that's the fruit of purity, right? That's the root of it right there. When we are fully content in him, we don't need to go grasping for other things. The natural heart that is satisfied in God will follow after him because he loves him and he's enough for him. And so he says, come to me and be satisfied in me. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, it says this. So, so, so her husband comes and finds her, and she is just deeply oppressed by not being able to produce a child. There's a cry, but it, it's a cry to fill something in herself. And as her husband comes and begins to speak this word of love into her heart, that, that nothing has changed his love for her, it says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And that so stood out to me because she had communion with her husband at the table. <laughs> and I believe what the Lord was showing me is that some of us have been so crying out for everything other than Jesus that we've missed Jesus in the process. We've stopped communing at the table with him. We've become so obsessed with everything other than Jesus that we've no longer sat around the table at him. We've become so distracted and obsessed with all these things. We are so convinced that without it, we're nothing, that we've missed him. We've missed the simplicity of being with him. And he calls us back and invites us back to sit with him at the table. And then a verse, verse 11. And this is where I see a, a, just a complete shift in Hannah. Is that it says this, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor, razor shall touch his head. I believe there's two cries that we see here. This first cry came in Hannah's life from just being so, again, so beaten down by her inability to produce what she thought she needed to. And so there was a cry in her heart that she wanted this child for herself, but in this last part, she begins to cry out to the Lord, but she says, Lord, I want this child, but Lord, I want it for you. God, if you give me this child, if this child is birthed through me, I'll offer the entire thing to you. It's interesting, she says, that if you give me this child, all the days of his life I'll give to you, and no razor shall touch his head. It's the Nazarite vow that she's committing him to. Many of you may even know that with Samson. It, it says you can't drink of any wine, 
You can't come across any dead bodies, and no razor shall touch your head. But it was specific setting apart for an individual for the work of the Lord, almost like a priest would be. What Hannah's doing is she's dedicating her son. She says, if this thing is birth, Lord, I dedicate him wholly to the service at the temple. Which means every benefit that we listed before that Hannah would receive from having a child, she is saying, I forfeit all of that. I don't need any attachment to this thing that you want to birth through me. My only desire, God, is that when this baby comes forth, all of it will be used for your glory. No one will ever know that it could even be my child, God. Everything about this child will be yours. I can't receive any security from it. I can't receive any comfort from it. God, my one desire is that you would birth this in my heart so that your name would be lifted on high. Her heart was being purified in this process. It's a different cry. It's a shift in her prayer. She says, God, I'm still asking for a son as I have a hundred times before. But this time, my whole life before this, I've always asked to fill something in myself. It's always been for me, Lord, that I've cried out for that child. But now, Lord, I pray for this child, but I pray it's for you. I give it all to you. Do you understand? God wants to birth things through us. No matter who you are, he wants to do things through your life. But he first will purify our heart so that what is coming through us will be solely for him. And this is amazing that in verse 6, you don't even need to go back, but verse 6, it says God closed her womb. Do you know that it was God that closed her womb? I believe God will, can I just make, can I make a, a, a suggestion that, there, that it could be possible based on what we see here, that God would allow us to go through seasons of barrenness so that he can look into our eyes and say, am I not more than 10 sons? Could it be that God will withhold things that he's promised and said because he wants to look at us and say, is not my union to you enough? Is there something more that you need? Sometimes I think God's, with, God's waiting for us is to expose our hearts, not out of punishment, but out of protection. Because as I said before, if God allows us to birth this thing and it has an unhealthy grip on our heart, it could ultimately destroy us. And so God waits and brings us in the place of barrenness so that he can form a heart to be completely content in him and him alone. I think it's easy to have a desire. I know I've said this, and God is so, he's taken me through this. There have been so many times where I've desired, God, if you could do this in my life and, and make, open this door and open this, God, I just want it so your name would be lifted high. And God has shown me oftentimes that is just so masked and a loss for my own legacy, my own name, my own platform. And I'm getting to a place where I say, Jesus, purify my heart. Purify my heart that the only thing I want is to see your name glorified. If our hearts are not purified, then we will give birth to tainted fruit. <laughs> because it will always be to validate ourselves rather than just for him. And so the last thing I'll share with you here is Hannah cries out that this child now would be for the Lord. And she has the birth of Samuel. Isn't it interesting that no one remembers the children of Penina. No one remembers her children. <laughs> their lives and their work died with them. No one knows about their children but Samuel. Samuel, it says in Hebrews 11.32, in the, in the, in the uh, hall of faith, they call it, it says, Samuel and the prophets. Samuel was set apart from everyone else. There was none like him as a prophet and priest except for Jesus Christ. None, none like Samuel. There was something special about this because this fruit was birthed from a pure heart 
this, this, this result that came from the womb of Hannah was something that was solely and completely unto the Lord. And that, that was fruit that had radical impact. We still read the words in the story of Samuel. Do you believe in your heart that God wants to do similar things in your life? He wants to use every person here. But he wants to bring us into a place of which our hearts just say, Lord, I'm content in you. And anything that you want to bring from my life, it's for you, Lord. It's solely for you. And he wants to set you free if you feel so bound in the constant striving and needing to obtain and achieve. He wants to just let you know that he's enough for you. Samuel is the perfect picture of fruit that is birthed from one that is holy and completely satisfied in God alone. That is the only way that you can have fruit in your life. Be birthed purely for, for God and not for ourselves is when we're completely satisfied in him. Because then we don't need that thing that he's doing through us. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I know it's uh, probably a deep and heavy word, but I believe it's, it's so needed. We said, as I shared before, that for this body, this is a season of purity. It's a season of purity for us. I want to read a scripture with you before we pray. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. For up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. If your heart is restless... If you find yourself that you've lost communion with Jesus as a believer because you've been so consumed with all of these other things, the issue is in the coming to him. He simply says, come to me. Come to him. I want to make this very clear. You can come to church. You can even come to your Bible. You can come to a lot of things, which God has instituted for us to be able to see him. But ultimately, the primary purpose is for us to see Jesus. If your heart is not satisfied in him, it's because you have not been coming to him. How do I knew that? know that? Because Jesus is so good. He's so beautiful that when you actually see him and encounter him, your life is never the same. Your restlessness comes to an end when you begin to drink from Jesus. Who can drink? Let anyone, anyone that wants to come, anyone that comes and says, Lord, I surrender my life. Jesus, I yield the lordship of my heart to you, and I come before you. Let anyone come, and they can drink living waters. And what does it mean to drink? That all of your inward thirst would be quenched by God. Every craving of your soul, everything that you've longed for, when you say, I just feel empty inside, would be met in Jesus. And I so believe in my heart that he wants to encounter us today in order that we could drink of him. That we would be a pure people. A people that are so content in him that we say, Lord, anything you want to do in my life, it's all for you. 
Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.